All right, folks, welcome back to the next episode of Professional Development, the podcast where teachers talk about teaching. Today, very excited to have my first ever principal from when I started teaching in Mark Tree, Arkansas. Paid me three meatballs a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we paid you too much. Yeah, yeah. I got a, I think I got a Christmas bonus for half a meatball one year. Um. Very excited to interview Mr. Matt Wright, longtime friend, my first principal, and now the superintendent of Mark Tree High School. So, Matt, welcome. Thank you for coming on and uh, and chatting me. with me. Yeah. Why don't let's actually start here? Tell folks, give people a little bit of insight into the community of Mark Tree. How many people? Um, how many kids? Where is Mark Tree? All that. Sure. So, you know, Mortree is a, a small rural school district in Northeast Arkansas. We're situated almost uh, halfway between Jonesboro and Memphis. Um, the, 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 the community used to be, a, you know, I, I use the word booming, uh, but it, we used to have probably 36, 3,700 people uh, when I was growing up. And there was, there was, there was factories, um, a lot of farming jobs, small family farming jobs. But with the mechanization of farming, a lot of those jobs have gone away. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, the, on the flip side of, of that, you know, you start talking about some of the industrial jobs that we've had. We used to have three or four factories that probably employed a thousand people, and those have all closed since the mid nineties. Um, so we're, we've seen our population decrease. We're down to uh, to about twenty three hundred citizens from our tree. Uh, school district at one time probably had around 980, 990 kids. We're down to uh, we're down to five hundred. Uh, we got as low as 440 right now. We're back up to 498. So we're excited about that growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are a uh, we're a, we're a, a, a school district that is 86 percent free and reduced lunch. So there's a lot of a lot of poverty uh, mm-hmm. in our community. Um, the strength the strength of our community, I think, is uh, is the diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, we're 65 percent Caucasian, 35 percent African American, and so. Uh, that diversity that, that our kids get to have and they get to grow up with, I think it teaches them a lot about life, about how to work with other people from other cultures. So, yeah, it's a good it's a good place to be. Yeah, that's something that I um, to this day, I think, has really impacted how I view teaching and how, how I view the classroom, because and I, I we're going to talk about the the, edu- the COVID response, but I, I I'm curious if you could give a couple thoughts on it i mean you go a little bit south to earl and that's a hundred percent black and african-american students almost and then you go a little bit north to cherry valley and that's cherry valley is that north kind of what yeah so that is a hundred percent white and caucasian students and mark tree is it is like you were just saying it really is kind of situated on what I've seen as sort of like a white flight border. Um, how, how do you, th- how, how, I guess, how conscious do you think people are of that in terms of how the, how the school systems are uh, impacted racially? You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've been in the business all of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I say I've been in the business. I was a student for, 15 years and I've, I've never, I've never done anything except school. So I don't know how mm-hmm. people outside of school think, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it is something that since I've been in college that I've recognized. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I've, since I've been in college that I, I've known that, you know, there are, there are certain differences and there are certain um, issues that we all have with the public school system. Right. Um, and it's, it's viewed in different ways. Being in the middle of, of a diverse community, sometimes you have to, I don't want to say tiptoe, mm-hmm. um, but you, you have to be very considerate of other people's feelings and, and, and where they're at as a, as a culture, mm-hmm. uh, where they're at as a, as a group of people and, and, and their experience, their experience that they've had with the school system. Yeah, I th- I've, I've, I've counted myself lucky to uh, have worked in Mark Tree because I do think it's genuinely a unique example of a school that's um, especially racially diverse like you just yeah that's just not true with a lot of schools it's true with some um but but it is i don't and i don't think people understand the importance yeah of that and and how that is a benefit for our kids it really is Um, i mean you're not i I can think of very few jobs where kids are going to grow up one day and go work in a place that's 100 caucasian or 100 Mm african-american it's not going to happen and so it's important that we grow up and learn and respect each other. And, and where does that start? The schoolhouse. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's um, let's switch gears a little bit because I know that we want to talk about what's going on with the pandemic and how it's how it's been impacting Mark Tree. So let's let's do a little bit of looking back. Um, how how like how did you approach supporting and? and managing your school district? Cause you're the superintendent now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how did you approach, I guess, last year, um, s- switching to remote instruction? I'm sure this was a huge challenge of a lot of unsolved, like everyone's saying, you know, what a huge adaptive challenge it was, but could you just reflect for a little bit about what last year was like for you before we get into this year? You know, um, let's go back even further than that. Let's okay. Go back to, let's go back to, to February of 2020. Yeah. Um, I can remember. I can remember. I mean, it was something that. Timmy, I'd wake up in the middle of the night. Um, and turn on my phone and go to USA Today or CNN just to see what what has happened in the past two hours. Mm-hmm. What's happening? Because it was something that you could see it. You could see it coming. Yeah, you can see it coming, and in those first few uh, weeks of, of February and March, um, we we saw it. We knew we knew something was big was getting ready to happen, and so in some of the meetings that we had, it was how do we teach our kids if we're not here? And and haven't been in Montreal. I mean, you know that uh, we're we're a one to one school. Yeah, almost everybody is now, but. We have been probably since 2012, and so um, we have some experience. We have the technology. Um, the thing that we didn't have is just there's not this internet connectivity for all right. kids. Right. Um, and how do you teach kids outside of the building effectively if they don't get to have the conversation around education? If they don't get to have the conversation around the topic, um, worksheets. It was. It was everybody did as good as they could mm-hmm. in the spring of, of 20. Am I right? Was it 20? Yeah, 21. Yeah. 20. Yeah. Everybody did as good as they possibly could. Um, 
we had a lot of time. We had a lot of guidance. I mean, I, I feel like the Department of Education uh, for, for Arkansas did a phenomenal job of preparing us leading up to uh, the beginning of school last year. Um, what we weren't prepared for uh, was how do you teach kids? So when we came back, we knew coming back, we knew coming back that we were going to have challenges. We knew that we were going to have two different audiences. We were going to have the face-to-face. You know, we've been, we've been opened up. We've been face-to-face since last August. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We were, I think, one of nine or 14 schools that were face-to-face all year last year. Okay. But we also had a virtual option. And so our teachers were trying to uh, – we had a virtual option, which was a program that was offered through the state that teachers managed. We had – face-to-face, and then our teachers also had to handle the quarantine situation. What do you do for those kids? Because they can't jump in the middle of a virtual curriculum. Mm -hmm. So you still had to figure out how do you educate those kids that were in face-to-face, but that had to go, uh, that had to be quarantined or who had tested positive. And it was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jimmy, we we went back and we looked. um, We lost just for kids who were quarantined. Uh, we lost over 3,500 instructional days. That doesn't count teacher absences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you look at at least us um, from March 1st of 2020 to mm-hmm. February the 28th of 2021, our kids should have had 178 instructional days, and we had about 70. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you look at over that one year window where kids were supposed to have 178 days and they got 70. There was yeah. so much time that was lost. Yeah, baby. Hey, uh, you do what you need. It's OK. Hey, you're, you're yeah. You see this guy right here. His name is Mr. Mayors and he is one of daddy's friends and we're doing something. Can, can you go inside and uh, eat your ice cream for breakfast? <laughs> don't tell, don't tell your mama. <laughs> I'll be in a little bit. That's staying in the pot. Ice cream for breakfast. It has to. It has I love to. it. Man, she she is my sidekick wherever I, I go. Know. She goes. I get How up. How old I is get she now? Five, five, six. Six. Man, six. I wish I could eat ice cream for breakfast now. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> but you know, and so the 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 problem last year is that we knew based off of missing nine weeks of a school year. Yeah. Uh, based off of kids being out so much last year, um, we knew we were going to be so far behind. And and that created all the challenges, which kind of uh, leads us to where we're at now. The, what? The, the other thing, the other thing is, and, and the kids who struggled the most with digital learning were the kids from poverty, mm-hmm. the kids who need us the most. Uh, they, they struggled so much with, Mm -hmm. uh, with digital learning. And the thing that's concerning, the thing that we had pointed out to us that I'd never really thought about is what's the trend in higher education right now? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole, yeah. And that's, that's scary to me. Um, what does quarantine look like for your school? Like the kids go home and they stay home for 10 days and isolate and then, what happens? How do the how do the teachers communicate? Is it Google Classroom? What I'm curious about what that actually looks like on the ground. Yeah, so you know we had we had Google Classroom that where kids will log in and they'll get their assignments. 
mm-hmm. um, but we zone. Yeah. You know, you're going to, we want you, we want you attending class. We want you participating in class. We don't want you sitting at home playing video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want you to, we want you to be in school, even though you're not in school. Yeah. Um, for, for a multitude of reasons that, that structure, that organization is, is important, but um, mm-hmm. just, we can't, we cannot afford for kids to continue missing. We, we, it's like we kind of opened up Pandora's box in terms of absences. Yeah. And we've got to get kids back in the building. Did you hear any feedback or have any discussion with students who, I mean, I'm sure you did, like the students who are struggling a lot, not logging into Zoom, who are really struggling with remote learning, did they, what did they say to you? Like, did their families connect with you? Was it just like, I'm literally getting up and playing video games all day? Like, what do you, what were some of the barriers? You know, you gotta watch little brother and little sister. Right. They've gotta help, they've gotta help their first grade, their first grade sibling mm-hmm. with homework. They gotta make sure that their first grade sibling is eating. Um not, you know, kids right. were staying home and playing video games. That was a terrible example. Were there some who were doing that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> they were telling us that on Facebook. Yeah. Um, but I mean, most of it was was the parents were having to go to work and how do you provide childcare for your kid if they can't go to school? Right. You know, and so that that was falling on some of their siblings, and yeah. there's just a multitude of issues that people from poverty face that we don't have to face, and and how they were dealing with the pandemic. I mean, it was it was it was a fight for survival. Oh yeah, yeah, and I I, I really think that that conversation can get lost um, in some of the large scale rhetoric about like oh the era of lost learning or whatever because. You are abs- you are absolutely right um, that we have, of course, we have the, a ton of instructional time that was lost, especially because of kids who were absent. But I've been frustrated at times when the conversation is around like measuring how far behind we are and that how much instructional time was lost. I mean, lost according to whom, behind according to whom, right? Like we're behind according to our old measured standards pre-COVID. And now we need to reset the goal line. Like are people surviving the pandemic? And then comes school. (laughs) You know, man, that was, Jimmy, that was a conversation that Candace and I had. Uh, yeah. We talked about like the lost learning and, and then we started talking about, you know, like what is learning? Right. What is learning? I mean, those kids were probably learning more in that moment about how to survive. Right. Than, than at any other time in their life. Right. Um, but I'm going to tell you, you said something that, that it, it kind of frustrated me, though, yeah. um, because you hear people talk about lost learning. And, and I keep trying to convince people our, our kids don't have the opportunity to lose time in learning life. We right. got to figure out what are we going to do? How right. are we going to, these kids, you know, there's going to be a September the 7th for an eighth grader. It's going to happen one time. Mm-hmm. They never get that day back. And that sense of urgency of what are we going to do on Tuesday to help our kids move forward? It, it was huge before pandemic, but now right, it is so much more important because if, if kids are going to escape poverty, we are their main resource. We're their main tool. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just. Man, it's the, the, the next 10 years in education 
especially for kids who are in kindergarten, first and second, where they were really developing those foundational literacy skills. Man, those kids, not just those kids, but especially those kids. Yeah. If we're not careful, those kids are going to suffer the rest of their life. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think um, it's, it, it, it's exposed. I, I, I feel like we keep coming back to this a little bit, but it has exposed how critical the need for the physical infrastructure of school is oh man absolutely you know like i think um i think that people are so eager to lean in like you were saying in higher education to like oh the flexibility and the zoom school and this and that like very eager to be like it's a new era of remote learning and remote work and we can do this and yeah like there are some businesses like Aaron works full time remotely like there are some people who can work remotely but i just for me i think the pandemic has doubled down on the importance of having kids in school uh and, and the and physical not, and, and and not just for education yeah yeah uh, you know, when, when the pandemic was going on, we were we were taking out two meals a day to our kids. Mm-hmm. If they don't have food from us, they don't yeah. eat. Yeah. You know, in terms of, of social, emotional health, mm-hmm. uh, if, if they're not coming to us, they don't get to be with their counselors. Um, I mean, there are so many. I think I think one thing that, that in our area it did. Well, this is going to sound really ugly to say this. Uh, but, but I think it showed people just how much the community has grown to depend on schools. Well, yeah, I don't think that sounds ugly. I mean, I think it's true, especially in yeah. small places, right? Like, and I think it should be that way, quite frankly. Like, I really miss Friday Night Lights in Mark Tree High. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that there's there's this incredibly important intersection between especially with smaller schools in rural communities, but even in, even in, in schools, you know, I'm in Boston now and like, we are trying to develop very actively trying to develop like a close tight knit sort of community that, that Mark tree has as part of its DNA. And it's much harder to do that in, in a larger urban school because parents live all across the city and it's like it, there there isn't that sense of community in the same way um and so yeah there's a question of dependence on the school system versus identity like it's part of people's identity to have gone to school right. at mark tree and now their kids are there and it's this it's, it's that's there's a lot of amazing strengths that come with that um yeah yeah no, so you, you, it's go ahead i'm sorry no, I was gonna, I was gonna uh, move us on, but go, go, go for it. Well, I mean, and, and, and even there's not a kid in our district, there's not a kid in our district that doesn't live ten minutes, right, from our building, right. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have to fight traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't have, we don't have all the problems uh, that the bigger schools have, and not just you know Boston, but Jonesboro even, right. Um, you know, and so. It, it creates that ability to have to have a family feel in a building and in a community where some kids need that family. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and so that's, man, being at a small school uh, and, and I'm sure big schools are the same, but being at a small school, to me, it just, it's, it's, it's so much more intimate. Yeah, absolutely. Have you found yourself, you know, speaking of, of the role, right, that the school plays in the community, I, I have seen and I've seen you posting and messaging logistics around COVID on Facebook uh, and things like that and posting videos. How has that experience been? Like, do you feel like people are generally receptive? Are you are you are you you're, are you fully asking people to wear masks right now? Yeah. yeah. So how, how does that um how does the messaging work within the community? Like you post something on Facebook, but do you have any like community Zooms or even in-person in the auditorium stuff? Like how are you communicating some of the problem solving stuff with the people in the community? So we, we do, we haven't done it in a little while, but uh, you know, a lot of Facebook videos. Yeah. A lot of Facebook videos. Um, if, if you go in and you look at, at the following that we have on, on Facebook, we've got almost 3,000 followers. And I know that's not a lot, but for a school district with 498 kids, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot, uh, yeah. And so we, we used to, once a week, we call it a Monday message. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd get on and we would talk about why are we making this decision? Why are we doing things this way? What's, what's coming down the pot that people need to look for? Mm-hmm. Um, that was that in mail in yeah. mail we would send out a lot of mail mm-hmm. um just because people you know cell phones people change numbers all the time and who thinks about well i gotta call and update everybody mm-hmm. especially a school mm-hmm. uh, so those were those were our primary methods of communication you know there are certain things around the pandemic that have become very politicized yeah um but i, I I'll, I'll say this for our community i know there are people who don't agree with the mask mandates Mm-hmm. Um, I have received zero phone calls saying my kids not doing this. Zero. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, the support, the support that Martin Tree has shown, um, not just the school, but the support that I feel like they've shown me, knowing that you know, it's it's a no win situation. Mm-hmm. It is a no win situation for school leaders um, mm-hmm. around some of the things related to the pandemic. But man, they, it, I've, I've been given so much grace, That's so amazing. much grace. It is. Um, I was worried about how people would respond to masks this year. You know, there's a, there's a legal battle going yeah. on in Arkansas around masks. The legislators uh, in, in March or April voted to remove the governor's ability to require masks. Schools was one of the places where you are not allowed to wear masks. Uh, and then right before school, the governor came back and yeah. I saw that look. That's we felt the same way. So um, wait, wait, hang on. So the legislature was Hutchinson trying to implement a mask mandate. So last year we were required to wear masks from uh, from a governor's order. From, yeah, from the governor's order. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the legislature started to wanted to remove that power from him. They removed his authority, I believe, in April, late okay. April, and and they left it up to. Well, they removed it. They removed it completely. And, and then he was able to talk me into, let's give schools the ability to finish the year how they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we were in a much different time and place. Then. Mm-hmm. I mean, numbers were dramatically down. Uh, I mean, we had we only had one COVID case in our school after March 1st. 
So we were in a much different place. Uh, why they did that, I, I, I don't know. Maybe they saw those numbers and they saw an opportunity for a political win. I, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. But then all of a sudden, you know, you start hearing about this uh, Delta variant mm-hmm. late in June and early July, and you start seeing those numbers start going back up. And man, by mid July, I think school leaders were like, "We've got a problem. We can't, we can't have kids wear masks because there's a law that says that we can't." And so they called a special session, and, and the governor tried to, you know, he openly said, "I made a mistake. I never should have signed off on." Yeah. I never should have agreed to that. Um, and some of the legislators, they, they fought it. And we were entering the school year with, with them saying, you're still, you still don't have the ability to require masks. Uh, and then uh, two school districts sued. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marion and Little Rock School District might have been, I think it's Pulaski County. They sued. Okay. Um, and there's an injunction in place right now. So we, we can require masks. Some schools are, some schools aren't, some schools are given uh, the option. Um, so it's, it's all over the place right now. Marion's just down the road, right? Like 20 minutes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So Marion and Pulaski County, they sue. There's current injunction in place and could go either way, right? Like you, your authority as superintendent to require masks could be revoked at any time. Yeah. So Marion started the school year. Marion started the school year. They couldn't require masks because they have their own the uh, oh they're on a, 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 a different calendar. So they start school before everybody else. They start mm-hmm. two weeks before all other districts. You know they've got a school district of four thousand kids. Mm-hmm. After eight or nine days, they had a thousand kids in quarantine. Jeez, a thousand oh with no with no masks. Right. And so everybody starts screaming like this is not going to be sustainable this is dangerous to kids yeah it's not work it's not going to work but well, it is dangerous and that's when everything happens it is okay um and, and and luckily the governor recognized that i feel like he tried to do what he thought was best just didn't didn't work out but they sue and and a, and a judge grants um uh, a stay or whatever the technical vocabulary is for that yeah but he gave us the, the ability to require masks do you expect i mean we're just when when do y'all start school have you are you started yet we've we've been in since the 16th of august oh great same with us wow that's early but you okay um so what do you expect in terms of the mask mandate like how have you have you started putting contingency plans in place in case you wake up one morning and you can't have require the well let me ask you this if your authority to require masks is removed do you think that you could maintain effective messaging to encourage people to wear masks like how because like i imagine some parents would still send their kids to school wearing masks even though Right. So what do you think that scenario would look like if, if suddenly as, as a school, you're not required to wear masks, but how do you, 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 you could pivot presumably to say, look, I'm not requiring you to wear masks, but can you encourage them? Can you say masks do X, Y, and Z? Like, I think people kind of know the science of it, right? So that's no, no, no. Yeah. They, I, I don't. I don't think they want to pay attention to the science of it because of the 
how politicized it's become. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I feel like it's uh, science against everybody else. Mm. And either you support science or you don't support science. What our game plan was for this year, and, and man, I, I'm going to tell you, I've, I've got a school board. I've, I've got a very courageous school board, a very courageous school board. Uh, but I also think they know that we've got a very supportive community. Yeah. Um, our, our game plan this year was we are going to strongly encourage masks. Yeah. You know, we were already, we were already uh, verbalizing that to our community. Um, when the, uh, when the judge placed an injunction uh, on the mask mandates, we came back, I believe it was, uh, we started school on Monday and I think we made an announcement Tuesday prior to that, yeah. that we were requiring masks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, if, if they come back and say you can't wear masks, we will strongly encourage masks. Um, or you can't require it. They, they can't, can't they're require not, it, but you can't encourage it. But is there – there's because there's a difference between not requiring it and literally banning masks. Like yes. can the legislature so – No, they're not banning. They're, they, they're not banning. They're just right. saying you as a district cannot require masks. Right. Okay. It's, it's an individual choice. Got it. Okay. So do you, what percentage of parents do you think would decide to not have their children wear masks in Mark Tree? Like if you were to give an estimate, do you know? 50, 50, 50%, 50% probably is going to send them a mask. 50% is probably not. Yeah. Do you, what's the, do, are you anticipating that scenario or do you think the injunction is going to stay uh, for the school year? Or is it going to get solidified? What do you think is going to happen? So this is a spot where I could get in trouble. Okay. I'm not uh, trying to do that for you. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be political. Yeah. I mean, there are, yeah. uh, we've got a, we've got a governor who I believe has presidential aspirations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a certain group of voters that I think he's going to try to appeal to. Right now, I think that he is slow playing this. I think that he's going to do what he thinks best for kids. I think that's why he tried to do the mask mandate. We've got an attorney general who wants to be governor. I think she's going to slow play this. Um, she has already said that they're going to come out and they're going to fight the governor. Um, but no, I don't. I don't feel a real sense of urgency to fight that battle right now. I think that they're just trying to slow down, see mm-hmm. how everything goes, let kids be protected. Um, and once it's all over with, then fight the battle. But the problem is, is that this isn't going away. Right. Slow playing, meaning let the injunction ride and kind of not draw attention to it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cause I'm going to say we oppose it, but we're not actually going to go in there and fight it right now. Now yeah. there are, there are some people, Jimmy, that, uh, you know, have started GoFundMe pages where they're actually trying to sue school districts right. over the mask mandate. Uh, that was, we had a, a situation in, in, I think it was Cabot. Yeah. Um, went to court, you know, they found out they were being sued, had to be in court the next day at two o'clock or one o'clock. Um, and, and fortunately for schools, the judge, the judge favored on the side of schools and masks. And yes, mm-hmm. right now that injunction is legal and they can require masks. Yeah. So, I mean, just as last week we were concerned there was going to be something else that would remove masks. Yeah. I have been 
you know, I, I follow, obviously I care about Arkansas a lot and I've outside of Boston, Arkansas politics and, um, especially Hutchinson, I do kind of keep tabs on a little bit. I've, I have, I have a lot of disagreements with Asa Hutchinson personally, but I would, I I would, I would say that I have been impressed generally with the way that he's been trying to manage the pandemic and, and sort of, uh, be real about masks and be real about vaccines, especially with with our people across the state of Arkansas, who he knows are really fired up about anti-masks and anti-vaccines. I mean, um, there was I think there was an episode from from the New York Times podcast uh, that kind of spotlighted that effort from him. And I don't want to be in his shoes right now. <laughs> For sure. You know, and and not to not to dive into politics because it is a very yeah touchy thing. Um, but you know, for for a Republican, yeah, for a Republican to say we need to be putting on masks, yeah, uh, there, there's a certain part of the Republican Party that's like we'll never put a mask on, right? And so he is uh, he was courageous enough to to I don't know if he was abandoning them, but to go against them. Um, and voters are everything in politics, but he courageously did that, in my opinion. And there are a lot of things that I think that he's done. I've disagreed with the timing. There were some things that I wish would have happened sooner or even later. But you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm proud that Asa, I'm proud of the things that Asa Hutchins has done. Asa has done yeah. as it relates to the pandemic. Yeah. So let's kind of zoom in a little bit. You're in school now. You've been in school for a couple weeks masks are in place community pushback has been basically not existent right like people are generally fine with the masks how do you feel the school year started off how are people feeling how are kids feeling teachers feeling how do you think it's going the teachers um it's it's it is as stressful as it's ever been i mean you know the saying of uh those who can't teach yeah you know uh haven't talked. You wouldn't. They're they're not they're not saying that right now. Right. They're not saying that. Uh, it's it's been a hard it's been a hard start. Uh, yeah. For teachers, but I mean it, it's it. I think it's been hard not just because of the pandemic because of I, I think that I work with a bunch of people who have that same sense of urgency. Like mm-hmm. they realize where our kids are at. They realize the role that we play uh, in, in their success. And so there's a lot of pressure. It's been a hard start, but our teachers have done, our district has done phenomenal. Uh, I think one area that we always wish that we could be better is just that communication piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's it's been it's been a good start. Our numbers, our our COVID numbers have been somewhat low compared to uh, a lot of other districts. Um, so it's it's been a, it's been a good start, yeah. Football team won. Both football teams won. You know, you so, yeah. What um? What's the vaccine conversation like in Mark Tree? Are you asking teachers to be vaccinated? Are you wondering about that? How's what's going on with that? Yeah, we 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 wish we hope our teachers get vaccinated. Uh, yeah, it's uh for 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 a multitude of reasons. Number one, you know, yes, I believe it's safe. Yeah, I believe it's safe. And and here's what we need from our teachers: um, we need them to be at school. Mm-hmm. you know and and if you're not at school then that's 10 more days and i think that that's something that i just keep going back to is it's all about seat time for kids mm-hmm. 
if a teacher's in a building or if a kid's in a building, they're learning. But if their teacher's not in the substitutes there, you know what that's like. Mm-hmm. It's just not as effective. And so we want our teachers to be vaccinated, number one, for their health. Uh, but, but number two, we, we, they are so integral to the success of our kids. Mm-hmm. We want them to be in school. And if they're vaccinated and they're around a positive case, they don't have to quarantine. So just the, the ability to be around somebody who's positive and still be able to come to school and not have to quarantine mm-hmm. um, and then be able to teach those kids, it's, it's just so needed right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of our teachers, a lot of our teachers also are in favor of vaccinations. So yeah. um, that's, that's been a positive. You know, I, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a tough conversation. Yeah. to have it on community right now. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're doing a vaccination clinic at a football game at a, uh, at a football game next week. And and I was I was worried about what's the response going to be. Mm-hmm. Um so far nothing. Will we have anybody get vaccinated? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um but that's a that's a you think masks are a hot topic? Brother, that vaccination. Yeah conversation yeah it's it's even more so especially for their kid right you know right. I mean, there there are parents that i've had the conversation with where they're vaccinated but but they're apprehensive about having their kid vaccinated mm-hmm. and then i totally I'm, i totally get it I totally get it i i've had a i had a conversation with one of my advisee we have an advisory structure and i had a conversation recently with one of my um advisees and and i asked him you know he's 16 year old kid and i asked him what he what he thought about the vaccine and he just was like i don't he's like i don't think it's safe i have uh asthma i don't want to deal i don't i don't want to get it i and uh i was surprised i will say because i feel like there's been there's overall has been uh Pot, like people are very pro-vaccine uh at, at least as far as teachers are are going but um yeah i don't know like kids it, it really kind of shifted my perspective because there are a lot of my students who are eligible who have said yeah as soon as i can get the shot i'm going to get the shot but there is still a resistance and a legitimate questioning and misunderstanding and not really knowing about how the vaccine works that does 16 15 16 17 year old kids are now being asked about this really sort of deep big picture healthcare decision that i never really was kind of faced with that type of an important decision or at least one that felt as important to me that was so concrete as whether or not you get this new vaccine. And I, I just, I think that is not that it's not really talked about, but it's, it was a sort of a surprising moment that put into perspective for me, like, Oh yeah, well, this is a real world decision that some teenagers yeah. are going to are need to make yeah. right now. And how are we, are we having a conversation? Cause are we having a conversation with students about what the vaccine is and whether or not it's safe and how are we supporting that literally in the biology classroom. I, you know what I mean? Like what is the school's role to, to support students in this choice 
uh, without without telling them they have to do it or whatever. And that's been something that I've been thinking about a lot because I don't really know what the answer to that question is. You know, and and here's here's the here's the frustrating thing for me as a school leader around that because it's so political. You know, there are certain things that that we work stick to the standards. You know, stick to the standards. Stick to what you're supposed to teach. Uh, that's that's a very vocal audience that says that. And 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 here's what that leads our kids to do. Where do they go for their information? Right. If they're not getting it from their teachers, if they're not talking to their parents about it, they go to Google. You know, or, and, and yeah. put on the internet right now. I mean, it's just that is something that is just driven me nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just all of the mixed messages that's out there and the the, the you know, the fight, the clicks, mm-hmm. you know, the things that they're saying. And it's just so much irresponsibility that's going on. Um, and, and adults have the ability to decipher some of that information, to, to be able to know what source is reliable, what's not. But these kids, man, they're, they're trying to work their way through this too. And, and where are they getting their information from? CNN and Fox News. How's that working out for everybody? Not well. And, and one thing you're right. Adults, adults in theory have the ability to make some of those decisions. I'm teaching a yep. new class called AP seminar right now. And like, it's literally a research. I'm jealous, man. I, I love the whole thought behind that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's gonna, you should, impl- you, you guys would be great at it with PBL. Like it's, it's, we'll talk, we'll talk differently about that, but part of the whole core, part of the whole idea behind AP seminar is I use this acronym a lot called Raven, which is a framework to evaluate the credibility of a source. So I put up a news article and the whole class discussion is like, okay, Raven is reputation. What's the reputation of the New York times, you know, famous elitist liberal journalists, but also the most Pulitzer prize of anything. Right. So we have some of these discussions around like evaluating the bias or whatever of, of specific news sources. And Yes, adults do have the ability. Most adults do have the ability to sort of sit down and reason through that conversation. But you know what they don't have is time. They don't often have the time to do that. And so I have been frustrated also with social media when I'm seeing like people who I know are really smart people who are who I've really had thoughtful conversations with sharing what to me are basically conspiracy theory memes about the vaccine and that and i think that like there is this level of anonymity that people sort of think they have online because when we were growing up we were basically like oh we could post whatever we want on facebook and there's basically like no consequences and you know, not it's just anymore. up on the internet, but it's not anymore. Like people yeah. see you and your, your footprint on the internet really is the a little roadmap of your ideology and what you think. And you, you can say, oh, I'm just posting jokes and memes or whatever, but like, it actually isn't like you you actually are kind of speaking aloud in a public space in a way that you weren't 
10, 15 years ago. You know what I mean? Because when you're in a public space, challenging someone and having a reasonable conversation, the temperature is lowered. People are a little bit more respectful or whatever. And when you're posting these memes and things like that on the internet without thinking that there are consequences, there actually are consequences. You just don't see them because you're at your home. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, we, we, we've had the conversation and you were here when we started having the conversation of mm -hmm. uh, digital citizenry. Right. Which you know, is not taught in schools. <laughs> it's not. Right. And, and be careful with what you're saying and what you're doing on the internet, because there are consequences, whether it is your, it impacts your ability to get a job or it impacts someone else in terms of getting them something that could be life-saving. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's just, People don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think everybody believes at some point, I feel like we just, we, we've lost our desire to do good for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And it just became about us. Mm -hmm. We've become so much more self-centered. Um, and, and that to me has been the most eye-opening thing during this whole pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, do the greater good for the greater number involved. You know, how can I help you? Yeah. And people, people, I feel like sometimes we've lost that. That's, that's sad. Uh, and you see people getting online and I don't even, man, I, 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 I can't, I can't stomach getting on Facebook or yeah, I mean, Twitter. I, me Just either. the way people are, are engaging each other. And yeah. there is no middle ground. Mm -hmm. You're either right or you're an absolute idiot. Mm -hmm. And those are the two conversations. I'm right. You're an idiot. And mm -hmm. Yeah, where's the where's the conversation behind all that? The conversation is so powerful. Talk about why. I just I don't know, man. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons I was I I really I was and, and am curious about how you think of your own uh, role as a leader through the pandemic is. I've read a number of pieces and heard a number of interviews and stuff, basically about like okay, if we're talking about the vaccine or anything related to the pandemic, but vaccines or masks, right? Those are the two real sticking yep. points. Yep. The messenger matters so much. And there's a whole field of study around crisis communication because if Joe Biden gets up on the podium and says, we all need to wear masks. We do not live in a country or Donald Trump or whoever, whoever the president is, gets up and says, everyone needs to mobilize. We all need to pull together. We all need to do this. We now live in a time where political figures, you get political energy, but through opposition politics, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. the act of resisting no matter what they say becomes a way to mobilize and organize and gain political power right so like the second joe biden ever gets on and says everyone needs to get vaccinated everyone needs to wear masks that's counterproductive that will that will deepen the trenches and of the of the group of people who are anti-mask or vaccines or whatever but you are not that way <laughs> The people who would respond that way to Joe Biden, they know you, they trust you, they they uh, trust you with you, their kids, and they know that 
you are making careful decisions about their kids. And, and I've been thinking a lot about community level crisis, commu- crisis communication, like who do you go to for concrete, trustworthy, complex decision-making process in your community? And for a lot of school leaders, it's the principals, it's the, it's the superintendents. Um, and that, I, I haven't seen too much of that, but I, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I'm wondering, like, is what I'm saying sort of resonant with you? Are you seeing that kind of effect through the videos or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, and and, and here's the thing. We're all leading. Mm -hmm. In one way or another, we're all leading. Yeah. We're either leading the right way or we're leading the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and, And so I feel like school leaders... We, we, we felt an obligation to, no matter how uncomfortable it was going to be, but we, we felt like there was this obligation to protect. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody wants to see kids crying out loud. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just going out, and I think that the most important thing is that you leave with empathy, and you leave with compassion, and you leave with love. And I know that sounds so cliche, but it's, it's I, I, I'm serious. Like yeah. people have to know, number one, that you're going to try to make the best decision that you possibly can, but that you're going to do so in a loving and caring way. Um, and it's not, you know, pounding your fist on a desk saying you'll do it this way or else. Mm-hmm. That's, that is, that is not, that's not what we need right now. One of the things that we've tried to do, um, if there's one thing that I feel like I have more access to than I've had, ever had, but it is access to medical professionals. There are so many people in the medical profession that are willing to lend their voice and their credibility mm-hmm. to this whole thing. Uh, and anytime I've ever tried to gain an audience with some type of medical professional, they have been more than willing. But not only that, the Department of Education has, has done a, a phenomenal job of putting those, those leaders in front of us. And given us the, the data that we need to hear and the, the decision making. Right now, we all feel like, or we all, we all say, you know, well, I've researched this or I've done, and, and none yeah. of us have. None of right. us have. Right. But the they, 60 they second info in, video is not research. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. But they've put people in front of us that have spent, I mean, that's their life's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so taking that information that we've been given and, and going out and, Figuring out ways how to um, softly say that, mm-hmm. and and try to address the concerns of both sides, but in the end, be like, you know, I love you, but here's the decision we're going to have to make, and this is what we're going to do moving forward. And, and I understand some of you disagree, but this is yeah. just what we feel like in this moment. Mm-hmm. It's best for kids. It's not about me. This is not about what I want to do. This is about what I feel like we have to do to protect the kids. It's all about the kids and that messaging i think permeates to it's not just kids it's also senior citizens mm-hmm. or it's the average joe blow walking the street it's 45 years old you know mm-hmm. um so it's been tough it's been tough i mean there are a lot of people who i feel like are uncomfortable being community leaders who have found themselves thrust into that spotlight mm-hmm. um educators have done an amazing job stepping up i mean i, I just you talk about some of the unsung heroes. I mean, obviously the medical professionals are, are 
they're it right now in my eyes. They are it. They are they are the they are the heroes of this. But I think that educators have really gone above and beyond for uh, for society. Yeah. Well, um, I want to sort of close a little bit. We've had we've we've been having like a a bigger picture large scale sort of community discussion, I think, around COVID, but I'm curious about your job, like underneath all of these, all of the COVID conversations and the community complexities, you're, you're an instructional leader. Our jobs are to teach, our jobs are to teach. Your job is to support leaders or support teachers rather in effective instruction. And so I'm wondering what are some how are you thinking about classroom implementation? What, like, what, what are some ways that you are expecting your classrooms to change and evolve in response to this? And what are some things that, you know, basics are basics, going back to the fundamentals, like good instruction is good instruction. How are you balancing some of those uh, ideas? Jimmy, I think the most important thing that we can do from a teaching standpoint right now is two things. Number one, we have got to be crystal clear on what is important and why it is important. Mm -hmm. Vertical alignment has never been more important than it is right now. Mm -hmm. We've got to quit trying to teach every standard and teach the standards that matter most. Those, those sequential skills where mm -hmm. kids are going to build on from first to second to third to 12th grade. We have got to identify those and we have got to guarantee that when kids leave our classroom, they know those skills per grade level. We've got to be clear on, on what quality looks like. We've got to be clear on what the assessment's going to look like for that, all the way down to the Senate stems that we're going to use to ask the questions. Vertical alignment to me right now is so important. And, and, and for lack of a better term, getting rid of all the other trash. And, and focusing on those things that matter most. The second most important thing that I think that we can do right now um, is develop instructional models. Um, and, and let's be crystal clear on the methods that work the best and when you use those. And, and that's not a personal preference. I mean, you wanna know what works best. The research is out there. Mm -hmm. We know the strategies that are the most effective. Let's get out there and let's find those and let's implement this instructional model of things that we should see in, in terms of instructional, things that we should see every day, things that we should see sometimes, and things that we should never be walking into a classroom and seeing. And that's not something that an administrator needs to create. That's right. something that teachers, you know, the teachers need to get out there and create that. The research is there. We just have to provide that framework and the time for teachers to be able to do that because those are two large undertakings. Mm -hmm. um, man, I don't think they've ever been more important uh, than what they are right now. And, and so quality instruction, quality instruction and meaningful assessment, man. I mean, mm -hmm. those things, I, I know that sounds so, uh, that's something we always say, quality yeah. instruction, quality instruction, quality instruction. But man, it's right now, we better know what the best is. And we better know how to implement it. Right, right. Because I mean, we, I, everyone's always said quality instruction for a long time, but you know, I do feel like, okay, I started teaching for you in 2011, and during that time, we, we were transitioning into project-based learning, uh, and then we had the partnership with the New Tech Network, and I felt like there was sort of not really an era, but like this 
if I look back on that time, there was a real interest in like exploring and figuring out what works and, 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 yeah. and like, let's try to do this thing and see how it goes. And let's try to do that thing, which I'm not saying that, like, I think that there is an important space for a teacher, especially a newer teacher to like, uh, explore and try things out and see what sticks or whatever. Um, but as I've developed, you know, I've made an intentional decision to go back in the classroom. I want to be a teacher. And as I've made that decision and as I, as I have become, what's, what's happened for me is like, I know ex it's really about being confident in the classroom decisions that you're making yeah. and knowing no, this is what works. And with every, every single second of your lesson, knowing exactly why it fits into the larger picture of your overall uh, vision and where you're trying to get the kids to. But you do, you have to have this extreme level of clarity for, you can't just, you don't have, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to try this five minute routine every Monday. Like if you know, you need to know exactly why you're giving the kids a 10 minute vocabulary routine twice a week. And you need to know yeah. where you're making those connections. You need to know how those specific vocabulary words are gonna show up on the final assessment. And that does take a lot of time, uh, but, but it also doesn't take a lot of time because there, the resources are out there, the research is out there that can just be handed to a new teacher or a younger teacher who's still developing. But, um, then you run into the conversation of, oh, well, I'm feeling stifled in the classroom and my principals make me do X, Y, and Z. But I think you're absolutely right. I, it's music to my ears to hear you say vertical alignment, because I think my school has been doing a much more intentional job. Uh, it's a young high school. It's not very old, but we've been doing, I'm, see I'm seeing, uh, and this is a shout out to my, my 10th grade uh, history and literature teachers, like, I'm seeing kids come to me even in remote instruction with significantly stronger writing foundations because they knew they knew exactly what I was going for in my writing. And so I right. got the I got the kids walking into my classroom. We've been doing par like I have three cycles now of one paragraph exit tickets and I'm like damn the foundations of this are in place. We're ready to go. Like we're and yeah. uh and and that that is those conversations are are very critical. Uh, they've always been critical, but I think they're especially critical now because to go back to the original, the, the point that you were making, like we, we don't have time. We've lost so much time and we, sh we need, we are going to lose time this year. Not as much probably, yeah. but we know that we're going to lose time. So we need to prioritize. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that is, I, I, it, and that is a moral and ethical responsibility that we have right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, we have got to be crystal clear on the things that we're, we're going to do. Uh, we have to get kids caught up. I know it's going to be impossible, mm -hmm. but that has to be, that has to be what drives us to get the kids caught up. And we've got to try to do it the same amount of time that we already had because who wants to come to after school tutoring? Right. I mean, we're going to make those things available. Um, but I mean, it's just, yeah, we, we've got to be able to do that during the school day, which is just an enormous challenge for everybody. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree. And good luck. I hope I want to have you back on and uh, connect later in the year and see just kind of see how things are going. Um, I'll, I'll come a lot to you. 
Yeah, you you could lie. You could tell the truth. You could lie. Whatever. I would not know the difference because I don't That's do right. the research. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Matt, no, thank you, and to all the teachers uh, in Marchery, I I miss you guys, and I appreciate you coming on, and and good luck the rest of the school year. Hey, let let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do your kids know how lucky they are to have you? <laughs> I appreciate that. Have they recognized uh, that yet? I I think they do. I've got. I tell you one. What I tell you what, I am extremely underwater right now because I have uh, twenty two letters of recommendation that I need to write <laughs> for college, and that's twenty two plus hours of work that I need to figure out a way to to do outside of my two prep periods a day and uh so i think yes but it's a little stressful right <laughs> at the moment but that Absolutely. means a lot that means a lot I, I i appreciate you saying that and uh yeah teaching is a teaching is a is an amazing job and it's the best it's um it's something that i feel i, I i've said this before to you and and even in some other interviews for this podcast but it's uh not everybody in fact it's not just not everybody most people don't feel passionate about their jobs i think like if we if we if we look across the u.s and you're looking out at like who is getting fired up who wakes up every morning and like is is just excited to go to work and i am i still am and 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 you know i had some conversations about do i stay in teaching or do i try to do some other things and just like for me the decision came down and, and you know i'm i may end up in some school leadership position or something but it really it really came down to uh i got some really good advice from my friends, people like you, people who are close to me, who, who help clarify, like, if you have something that's working for you, that is a rare thing. And to have that perspective and to make an intentional choice to, to go after it um, and lean into like really kind of fully developing as a teacher and thinking carefully about my practice and um, I am excited about that decision and I feel incredibly blessed to be in this position in my career where, you know, it's just a teacher, but I, I don't know, man, I wouldn't trade it right now for anything. You know, Todd Whitaker said that the best thing about teaching is that every day it matters. Mm -hmm. He also said the hardest thing about teaching every day it matters yeah yeah um, I've, i have never once um never once got out of bed in the morning and said to myself i don't want to work mm -hmm. um every day i wake up i feel like i'm the luckiest man in the world I, I drive down and i see the school and i see the kids um and, and i know that what i do matters and then i see kids struggling 
and it, it, it even reinforces what I what, what we do as educators. It, it matters, and it is so important, and it is so rewarding, and yet it is so challenging. Um, but man, it, we are the we are the driving force behind a great country. Um, I think so. I take I take pride in being a teacher. Um, yeah. No matter the challenges, no matter the successes, no matter the failures, it's hands down the best job there is. Yeah. I agree. It's uh, and you're a good one, Mayors. No matter what I told you when you was in Martree, uh, you're a good one. Okay, well let me end. On, <laughs> let me end on a on a quick story then. Um, I was I was teaching in. We I forget what the class was. It was like a, it was um, it was a group. It was a group. It was an elective. I think it was a journalism class. You remember how I taught one section of journalism when I wasn't supposed to be teaching journalism because there was a... I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> what you're talking about. So we were in... Uh, it was the old computer lab before... This was, this was my first year. So it was the old computer okay. lab before you knocked down the walls to make it that, yeah. that middle classroom, you know? Yeah. And Miss um, Thompson who was the superintendent at the time this was we were it was my first year teaching we were about to go on christmas break miss thompson comes down and i'm monitoring i'm walking around the room kids are um typing away on this website that i created because i didn't know what the hell i was doing and um she (laughs) she knocks on my door and i have had at that point I had had two conversations with Ms. Thompson. The first one was September. Shoot knocks on my door. Could you please write the vision statement for Mark Tree High School? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, why why me? Uh, And she said, well, you are a creative writing major, right? And I said, yeah. She was like, she just looked at me and she's, that was it. That That's why. And do it. And I was like, I'm a 22-year-old kid who just moved here. I feel like someone else should do that. But I did it. And then, uh, I don't know. So that was the first conversation I ever had with her. And then there was no, and then this was the second conversation, journalism class that one day. She knocks on my door. We're about to go Christmas break. And she hands me an envelope. Uh, and it was a check for $700. And she looked at me and she said, first year teaching is the hardest year ever. This is your Christmas bonus, which I did not expect. She said, this year we're doing Christmas bonuses and you've earned every penny of it. And she handed me a check and I, I, that was it that I just I remember that moment because it was like uh I don't don't know why I remember that moment um but it was it was a nice it was it got me home I could buy a flight home for the holidays which is good and um yeah it's it's uh I I could I have a thousand stories just like that but I appreciate you man too I mean you taught me a lot and and um every day I think about about what I learned and started in a classroom in Mark Tree, and I have you to thank for it. Well, uh, 
I learned as much from you guys as you learned from me. I promise you. Yeah. Well, come back on. I want you to, I want to check in and see, see how the school year is progressing and, and hopefully we'll do this again soon. Hey, make sure that you like edit this in a good way. This, I don't have time. This is a, this is an amateur podcast. So ice no, cream is no, staying in. I don't, I can't, I don't have time to go back and edit. This is it. It was one take. That's how it works. Uh, okay. <laughs>